I went to a marvelous party. Don't even know the facts. The they go with their ideas. gut. Don't have enough depth. Lads cares about your Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. From the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show, the Internet's first live comedy variety show, with your hosts, New York Times best-selling authors, Christopher Rice. No, there's actually a new study that confirms every other child you see on the street is a ghost. <laughs> and Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't want to talk too much, but... Okay, no, no, no. We're going to take up a collection for the stained glass window. Now we want the dirt. Featuring reports from their largely unqualified staff of special correspondents. Sex is like Christmas. It's the not knowing what you're going to get that makes it exciting. New York is a giant trash island infested by has-been theater queens. If we're really serious about cutting federal spending, the biggest waste of public funds I can think of is Congress. Two snaps for Jesus! The Dinner Party Show. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you live and for free through the dinnerpartyshow.com and our free mobile app. And now, direct from the kitchen by way of the Get out of my office. It's your hosts, Christopher and Eric. Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. It's Sunday, March 8th, and you're listening to The Dinner Party Show. And tonight we will not be talking about the fact that I can no longer digest cheese. Aww. We won't be talking about the dizziness I experience after consuming several pieces of brie. Oh. And we won't be discussing the sense of disorientation and drowsiness that now sets in after I enjoy more than one slice of pizza in a row. Mm -hmm. We can only gather it has something to do with the fact that in just a few weeks my stomach will be turning 37 along with the rest of me, but until then, we're not talking about it. Here, here. We also have nothing to say about the rumor that people lose interest in sex as they get older. Not that we don't have an opinion about that and pretty much everything else. We just think that if that was true, the internet simply would never have gotten off the ground in the first place. What we would like to know is what whoever it is who started that rumor thinks is so much more interesting that it could take the place of sex. I have no idea. Huh. Also not being discussed tonight, my left shoulder, which of late feels like the shoulder of a much, much, much older man. Uh -huh. Until I remember, I am what my younger self would have considered an older man. Really? And my shoulder is feeling the pinch because I've been lifting weights in a desperate attempt to give my younger self a boner. <laughs> even though my younger self is dead, technically. But my shoulder isn't. Still... We won't be talking about it or any of the other aches and pains that have visited me here in the mid to late 30s. Courage, Grandpa. We also can't find words to express what we think of those who complain that marriage is the end of sex and romance. If you're married and never have sex, unless one or both of you have had some sort of tragic accident or medical occurrence, you have no one to blame but yourself. And there's no excuse for letting the romance die. So, if you or your partner aren't willing to make the effort... We're not interested in talking about it. As for everything else, it's still on the table on tonight's edition of The Dinner Party Show. 
You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Enjoy the hors d'oeuvres, but don't fill up. There's plenty more to come. Welcome to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And tonight's topic is aging passionately. Well, we've got the aging part down. I know. We don't have the passionately <laughs> part down quite yet. But we're doing, we're making progress. But there. for that, we have a guest. Later in the show, we're going to have Heather Graham. Right. She here. should definitely spark things up. But she's written over a hundred novels. Over a hundred novels. Just this week, she released her novella in the A Thousand and One Dark Night series, a series of which I am also a member. Hers is called When Irish Eyes Are Smiling. It's available at thedinnerpartyshow.com. When Irish Eyes Are Haunted. Excuse me. (laughs) And she's going to be here to talk about that, but also to be talking about how do you keep the fire alive when you're as old as Eric and I are? Oh, yeah, we've got birthdays coming up, so, you know, it's really... On our minds. It's, Next week is the birthday special. It's so. not just on our minds. It's in our stomach. It's currently in my right <laughs> shoulder, although we said we weren't going to talk about that, so I shouldn't be bringing it up. Right? Um, Grandpa just can't stop talking about his aches and pains. <laughs> Usually I find that people who are getting older blame a youth-obsessed culture for the fact that they're acting like an asshole. That, at least that's true of me. Yeah, old age and me. bad health are not an excuse for acting like a jerk. You said to me once, I want to tell the story while we have time. Okay. We encountered a friend who was, let's say, senior. He was up there in years. Okay. And you said to him, how you doing, Joe? His name wasn't Joe, but we're keeping his name out of it. How you doing, Joe? 20 minutes later, oh Joe finished talking about his knees. He was having and problems his with his knees. And his diabetes and the tests that he'd had and oh my God. So we left Joe and we moved on to the nearest Starbucks and Eric turned and said to me, if I ever act like Joe just did... You have to tell me. You have to say something to me. And so I am waiting for that day, Eric Shawquin. Just you fucking wait. I will turn on you so fast. Well, I the comfort I want to offer you is that you've been complaining about aches and pains for as long as I've known you and I met you when you were in your early 20s. So <laughs> really I don't was. think it's an aging thing. I really was. My friend, uh, Christian LeBlanc, who was a guest on the show, who's currently on The Young and the Restless and has won multiple Emmys, used to joke because when I knew him, I was 21, and I would um, complain of carpal tunnel. And yeah. He said I was going to be the only 21-year-old uh, confined to a craftmatic adjustable bed. <laughs> they were going to come to visit me. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My carpal tunnel has me bed bound. Yeah. Yes, Christopher. I've been Christopher's. I've had been calling Christopher Grandpa for pretty much as long as I've known him. And you shouldn't leave out that your family called you Grandpa when you were about four years Absolutely. old. Absolutely. We all saw the picture. Bitch. Maybe I'll put the picture up again yeah. next week for for the birthday. But yeah, I, I've been all about the rocking chair and the uh, bathrobe, the comfortable bathrobe, and the sensible slippers. Pretty much since I was about. Four. My dear friend Jillian, who's the social media director for 1001 Dark Nights, has an eight-year-old son, Max, who has a seasonal collection of bathrobes. He's got different bathrobes I, for different seasons. That's, a, that's my child. She's raising my child. Yeah, that's really That's is. absolutely, yeah, I'm very much that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And have been, since I was a child, one year my mom got me a bathrobe for Christmas and it was, she hid it, she hung it in the, one of the closets, and when she would leave the house, I would go get it and wear it around the house. <laughs> a holiday bathrobe. Until she bathrobe. was coming in, then I'd hang it back up. Well, why would she give you shit about it? Because it was a holiday bathrobe, or it was not the right season? Give me shit. She got it as a present for oh, me. Oh, uh, well, then why would you put it away when she got home? Because she hadn't given me the present yet. Oh, you found it before. See, I'm getting older. I'm slow. I'm, I'm telling I'm, you. I'm losing my Your edge. Your medications are conflicting or something. Yeah, I wish I was on medication. 
medication. Those he- that headset's too tight. Send medication. Just cut off party the circulation people. to your ears. Send oh medication. Oh my God, your ears. Oh my ears. Yeah. No, I've I've had all sorts of um, staring at myself too long problems, as I like to call them. Oh, I just meant you're deaf as a post. I'm not that deaf. I just choose to ignore you in certain instances. When like I'm talking. Yeah. Like well, that would that would be always. So that's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible to always ignore you, Eric Shawquin. <laughs> not possible. Um, so, so we're old. what do you do to age passionately, Christopher Rice? I talk to you all the fucking time. That I ought to know. keep you on your <laughs> that toes. That keeps me on my toes. You have to love what you do. I think that's a theme. We talk to this. We talk about this a lot on the dinner party show in general, um, because we talk to a lot of writers, and, and we'll ask Heather the same question later. But you know, the idea is, if you love what you do, uh, you'll it never helps work you, a day in your life. You'll never work a day in your life, and right. it helps you get older. I think there's the people get trapped in the profession that they think is going to pay out in a certain way at a certain date. The retirement profession. People start their first day of work already thinking of retirement. I think they are the people who have trouble aging because the expectations don't get met, you know? Yeah, and and I would hasten to add that it doesn't mean you have to get your dream job. It means no. that you have to love whatever it is you're doing at any given moment. Right. Like, I always try and accept that even when I've had challenging times in my life it's been a part of the arc that brings me to where it is that I want to be and I try and enjoy that too because it's the only day you're going to get the the most valuable thing that we have is time the only thing that a billionaire the richest man in the world can't buy one more minute when Mm -hmm. the ticket you know comes due and Uh, you pointed out recently that all of the major billionaires of the world Elon Musk Peter Thiel um, all of them the Google boys the Google boys are focused on trying on immortality because projects that are despite in and around all of their money, they realize what you just said yeah. that nobody can buy more time. The ship will sail eventually. Steve Jobs was an incredibly wealthy man, and he was not able He's to come up with his own miracle cure for pancreatic cancer. Just as dead, yeah, yeah. as the, the popper who died from it. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not saying that that you know, like ha ha on him or anything, but it it it's it exhorts all of us to. Enjoy the moment as it's happening because it is not coming again. It is truly the great value of life. And I think that's the key to doing anything. I I think that's true. And I think to clarify my earlier point, I think the people who start the first day of work thinking of retirement are actually and usually in very high paying jobs that they think are going to pay out well. Right. Uh, It's very, you know, you can meet a lot of people who are happy working as clerks if they've made the decision to to view their life from a positive perspective. Right. It's what yardstick yeah. you pick to measure your life with. If it's going to be a dollar amount, you're probably not going to end up being a very happy person because that's not actually a quality of life thing. Yeah. How you're spending the money, that's another story or the way in which you're choosing to. But I think the other interesting thing to talk about on the topic of aging is health because I think, or physical health, right? Because we are living in a culture, and you and I talk about this all the time when I start to obsess about you know, my the way I look or the should I go to the gym again, the difference between narcissistic visual health and actual fundamental physical health. You know, like the two get very easily confused out here in Southern California where we live. You know, like I, I said to you the other night on the phone, it's like, well, I'm not really motivated at the gym right now because I don't have a photo shoot coming up. <laughs> and you said, why don't you motivate yourself by imagining how difficult it is for the 95-year-old to get on and off the bus. Right. And why don't you make it your goal to be as limber and flexible and spry as you possibly can be into old age? For you as know, long as you can be, because, you know, things happen. But, yeah, you want to try. It's Again, it's that quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. And you said something else, Reese. I'm just going to talk about a bunch of things you said that you aren't remembering Because I to never say. shut up. Um, the, 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 
one of the reasons I think we're struggling as a culture with unrealistic body ideals, and one of the reasons we also have an obesity problem in America is because the body ideals have become so unrealistic that some people have just fucking given up, as you said. It's like, I, I can't, no matter what I do, I'm not going to be able to look like that swimsuit yeah. model. And so if that's the expectation, I'm just going to stop trying. Because where are the people who are talking about the realistic middle? You know, or, or the weight loss goals that are realistic uh, based on your starting weight and your age group and all that sort of stuff. Maybe there's more of that conversation happening in states that I don't live in, but here in LA, it's crazy. I, what's considered I, I just got the details fashion issue. Yeah. Recently, and honestly, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's a group of, as far as I can tell, um, emaciated eighth grade boys wearing their father's suits. Right. Like it's. I, I they look great, but they would look great if they were, you know, just covered with dust or yeah. cupcake sprinkles or something. They're, right. They live, they're, you know, adorable children. But it 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 promotes this kind of like, well, who are these suits for? Yeah. If I have to be look like I just arrived from, you know, one of the concentration camps, right? Yeah. In order to fit into them, like for heaven's sake. Yeah, totally. Who is, who is this for? And I don't think that – I mean, I think it's bad out here because because of the business and because of what goes on around us. But honestly, I think it's a national sort of mm-hmm. obsession. And, and I think it's a really good point that people just – faced with that as the only potential ideal, and most of that's genetics and age and airbrushing – why would you even try? Yeah. Why well, not I'm, just I'm eat not the surprised whole you think it's a good pizza. point because it was actually your point. I'm just repeating <laughs> it on the show because you hadn't mentioned it. I'm so it. smart. But but yeah, I I, I I I do. I think it's totally true, and I I think that um, you know, it, it it also a big piece of this is the fact that ages are not what they used to be. Literally, <laughs> like like what is it? Fifty is the new. It, oh, I hate you know, that like expression. That, I hate all. But of those. people are living longer. I mean, it's one of the reasons Absolutely. we're having political problems around in, entitlement and programs. Living better, I yeah. hope. Like that's the real key. Living longer is great, but living better is also, I think, really the challenge that yeah. we're facing. And yeah, I think some of that's just about getting past some of the old notions. I there was a really funny article in. Um, a magazine that I receive now that uh, I, I, I brought in. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's this magazine. Oh, AARP. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, it's uh, it's called Guess Who's Older. Okay. So, okay, you ready yes, to play? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. The Supreme Court or the cast of the second best exotic Marigold Hotel. The cast of the second best exotic Marigold Hotel. Yes. Okay. All right. Who is older, the Rolling Stones or the Supreme Court? The Supreme Court. The Rolling Stones are older than the Supreme Court. Who is older, the Federal Reserve Board or the Rolling Stones? (laughs) The Federal Reserve Board. The Rolling Stones. Whoa, the Rolling Stones. And I think that's a great testimony towards, you know, like... What age is just a number? Age is just an idea that you have in your head. And yes, you really are that age. And yes, there are going to be some limitations. But mm-hmm. it's how you live your life, not how old you are. While and we you're doing just want to say we do not advocate, as Keith Richards apparently did, snorting the ashes of your father to live longer. I don't know if that was his. his I don't know. Whatever. Solution. It seems to have worked out okay for I, Keith. So do whatever. It's like, all, snort your, that's snort your father's ashes if you feel like of it. Of all but, the people to be living longer than the Supreme Court, the Rolling Stones. So maybe there are no directives about public health. We 
should be giving out on the dinner party. Absolutely, show. if they're if they're still alive at all, it's really sort of a miracle from God. Maybe they made a pact with the devil. It's one of those crossroads. Maybe things. so. Maybe okay. So. Well, we've so got Heather I, Graham I, coming. I, on. Heather Graham is coming on. I have a rumor that we have a little uh, something from Poison Creek, a transmission coming in on yeah, our satellite. We've got a little from Jonelle Sam's because it was sort of on topic, so yeah, we thought absolutely. we would include her in the show tonight. And Heather Graham will be here to talk about our topic: aging passionately, how to keep the fire in the oven when there's snow on the roof. There's no snow on her roof. I don't know if you've seen her recently. She's a radiant, radiant woman. Right, and plenty passionate if she's up to She's got two books coming out this month. There's one that's coming out So I guess it's right 102. Now when Irish Eyes are um, haunting, haunting which is week. available on the Dinner Party Show website Absolutely. right now. And then there's another one coming up later in the, yeah. which she'll talk about she'll when talk she about. joins us. When she joins us next. So, um, I don't know. If you want to live passionately, keep listening to The Dinner Party Show. Absolutely. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where the soup is hot, but the heads are hotter. Welcome back to Live from Poison Creek with your host, Miss Jonelle Sams, brought to you by the Poison Creek Mall. Poison Creek Mall. It's like a neighborhood yard sale that takes Visa. And now, here's Jonelle. Hi, I'm Jonelle Sams. Welcome back to Live from Poison Creek. Our next guest is marriage and family counselor, Sarah Reprise. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Miss Jonelle. Sarah's new book, It's Not Me, It's You, is about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, romance after marriage. As you know, I got my start in show business, offering up relationship advice on the dinner party show. People wrote to me, and I think I got more questions from people who were in relationships than from single people. Uh, That's right, Jonelle. It's like that old expression, it takes two to tango. It also takes two not to tango. I'm not quite sure that I... What I mean is it's clear why single people aren't having sex. Sarah, this is a family mom. I'm sorry. We'll just say tango instead. That's a great idea. So it's clear why single people aren't doing the tango. They don't have a dance partner. Though research tells us that many people in relationships and single do spend a great deal of time practicing their dance steps on their own. Oh, my. (laughs) But what I tried to address in my book was why so many people who have dance partners give up on dancing. I'm sure you got plenty of questions from people who used to tango at the drop of a hat, but after choosing a regular dance partner, only tango on special occasions or give up on the tango altogether. Uh, I, I, I think so. Sarah, uh, what have you learned about the decline in dancing among those with committed dance partners? Well, Neal, I think the number one reason that folks with dance partners give up on the tango is that they're bored. They put on the same old song time after time, and though it was their favorite dance number when they first started tangoing together, you can only hear the same song so many times. Oh, like that Celine Dion song from Titanic. I was just crazy about it when I first heard it in the theater, and then, after a while, well, I just heard it enough, and they just kept playing it. You know we're not actually talking about songs. Oh, well... I thought you said... We're still talking about doing the tango. Oh, I see. Like, sometimes just changing which dance hall you go to can make it seem like a whole new dance. I'm not sure I For instance, maybe you could try tango in the kitchen. 
Oh, that seems unsanitary. Or maybe you can get your tango on in the living room. Too much irreplaceable taxidermy. Or the dining room. Too many breakables. Okay, well the point is, a change of location can really liven up your dance steps. Think of it as taking a second honeymoon without leaving home. A second honeymoon? Lance! Variety is one of the secrets to good dancing. What are some of the other secrets? Well, Jonelle, one of the things that most people don't like to talk about is losing interest in their dance partner. Okay. You meet a dance partner, and he's all fit, and smells great, and doesn't have a bunch of hair on his back. Oh, dear. And he gets all comfortable dancing with you, and before you know it, you're dancing with Smokey the Bear. Because he puts out your fire? Exactly. I'm kind of getting the impression that you have some experience with this. No, no, just saying that it's kind of dirty pool to fall in love with one man and then come home and find out that he's been replaced by a sofa that farts. Language? And then he's all like, oh, baby, what's wrong? It's like you're a different woman than the one I met and fell in love with. And you're all like, me? Maybe I just can't find the man I love under that avalanche of cheeseburgers, worn-out underwear, and Cheeto duds he's been buried under. Well, I... I I think that's about and all the time we have. he gets all sensitive, even though he's the one who said he didn't think it was the dress that made you look fat. It was the cookies and cream hogging dolls. And you start spending more time at your mother's and go back to school and finish that psychology degree you gave up on for him. Okay. But is he supportive? No. He just complains that you're not taking care of him the way that slut he met at the booby trap, that sleazy strip club out on Paper Mill Road, takes care of him. And before you know it, he's adopted her kids that she named after Glade Room Deodorizer Sense and moving into her double wide and you're all alone. Uh, <laughs> there, 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 Miss Reprise. Let it well, I'll tell you and the folks in the mall and at home, if you're lucky, you're going to get older. And the only real choice you have is whether or not you want to get old by yourself or with someone who used to be younger and cuter and a whole lot of other things he either doesn't have the interest or the energy to be anymore. It's like Merle, my husband of 24 blissful years, always says, the only way to be sure that two people never change let each other down is a suicide pact. <laughs> and we'll be back with the Reverend Graham Crackers from Mega Baptist Church. He'll be here to explain to us why if God had meant for women to have orgasms, he'd have said so in the Bible. You're listening to Live from Poison Creek with Jonelle Sams. Brought to you by Poison Creek Mall. It's not fancy like Walmart, so you don't have to put on airs or a scarf over those curlers. It's a groundbreaking new series that busts stereotypes and brings television even further out of the closet. They're five gay men living and working together in the same big city. He's a construction worker. Hi, girl. He's a police officer. Hi, girl. He's a doctor. Hey, girl, stop. He's an Indian. <laughs> Bitch, please. Sorry, Native American. It's a tie-tie, girl. He's the director of the San Francisco Ballet. Yeah, hey, what's up? And together they're Butch. The hit new cable series that's busting gay stereotypes in the city we call San Francisco. 
They're not your stereotypical gay characters. They go to the gym and they drink protein shakes. Some of them walk real stiff, like there's a stick up their butt. The point is, they're not your mother's gaze. They're more like your younger cousin's gaze. Whatever they are, they're butch. And the actors got cast because they're so straight acting. And they're straight acting because their fathers didn't let them go to drama school. We also got cast because we suck cock. Which ones? Not telling, I'm too butch. Butch. Take a narcissistic gay man's Instagram feed, add in some talking, and you've got Butch, a show that breaks ground by going nowhere at all. I totally love ballet. Seriously, dude. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Let's dish. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And it's been a few weeks since we've had one of the authors in the A Thousand and One Dark Night series. And it's we been are, too long. It's been way too long. <laughs> and our next author is the immortal Heather Graham, author of over 100 Novels. Well, I'm must, not kidding. You must be immortal, Heather. Absolutely, I'm sure. Well, at least I'm hoping anyway. To have had enough time to write a hundred novels, let alone get them published. My God. Well, I had a lot of children, and they're very expensive, so I just had to... <laughs> And it's a great excuse to get the hell away from them. I thought you were going to say you had your children write some of the novels. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, no, I've got a couple that I think are going off on their own. Hopefully, I'd like to see it. Oh, oh good. That's great. No, it was a way, um, you know, I'd been working out of the house. When I had the kids, I stayed home, so... And uh, now I think it's... I They were always in and around, and... You never get away from them because as long as you know what they're doing, you know, you can see them and that everything's okay, um, you can concentrate. So it's, uh, I think it's good. How many of them are there? Well, five. And then um, I have a nephew I'm very close to. And, and, and uh, um, actually, my sister and brother in law passed away. So he's kind of, I like to think of him as oh. one of, you know, not taking anything from them, but as one of mine. Sure, and, and sure, sure, absolutely. And, and there was a new addition to the family just recently, <laughs> right? Yes, he's so cute. His name is, uh, well, this is my daughter-in-law. It, uh, actually, I was wondering what they were going to do because my husband's last name is Possessory or in Italian, it would be Pozzetere. And then my daughter-in-law is Ukrainian and her name is Yevgenia Yeryetskaya. And so wow. when they, wow. married, <laughs> they were going to try to hyphen it. However, they both gave up on that. But, <laughs> <laughs> so what have they done? Have they shortened it or combined it? No, no. They have decided the baby is going to go by possessory. Um, so his name is Corbin Carillo, which is a, a Russian name. Um, and uh, last name is Possessory. Okay. Okay. That's that makes pretty sense. nice. I think that may, I think it's got a nice ring to it. CCP, didn't that also used to be the abbreviation for the Soviet Union? <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, did it? Well, he's a Corbin with a K. And it's oh, it's Corbin. Corbin. Okay, so it's K. So you're we're saved on that. Okay, good. So ahead. now we're heading in the direction of KGB. We don't want to go there. He was BBP for a while for baby boy possessory. Oh, that's <laughs> so nice. We're happy, yeah. 
All right. Well, your baby that you congratulations. just- Congratulations, but congratulations on another baby that came out this week, which is your novella in the 1001 Dark Nights 2015 series, which is When Irish Eyes Are Haunting. Hi. It's available for sale through our store at thedinnerpartyshow.com, and we want to remind people that if you buy through thedinnerpartyshow.com, you support the store, and that means maybe next time we'll be able to fly Heather out here on our own golf stream for her 1001 Dark Nights to, 2016 You have to interview. buy a lot of- of copies, but but we support you in your efforts. <laughs> Buy a copy for all your friends. So that said, we're going to give you the same treatment we give all the Dark Nights authors this year who are coming on the Dinner Party Show, and we're calling it our Dark Nights Quiz, and we're going to cue up our game show music. Brandon, cue up the music. All right, there we go. There's our game show music. <laughs> and now, Heather, we're going to ask your answers to the following questions, and at the end, we will have a fun drawing. So our first question is this. You are dangling from a clock face by your bare hands over a 30-story drop. Oh, dear. Who do you most want to come to your rescue? A vampire, a shifter, or a Navy SEAL? I would like to have a vampire Navy SEAL. And why is that? I love Navy SEALs. I'm a diver. (laughs) Right. Someone has to like SEALs. And then... um, I don't know. I guess probably my still my favorite creature out there would be vampire. So it would be a vampire. So a Navy SEAL who's also a vampire. I, I think that's I think great. you just gave me an idea. I think we did. I, I love that. Did. Yes, we can't wait to read it. Uh, and we can't wait to get 5% of every copy since we did give you the idea. So <laughs> another fun way to support the show. And that Gulfstream we're working on, apparently. Uh, there's probably a Navy SEAL vampire out there somewhere already. But hey. We will put out a call to our listeners if you can find any Navy SEAL vampire fiction, please post it on our Facebook page. And I don't know, maybe you'll Because Heather would like to meet them. Yeah. Heather would like to meet them and take them out so that she can make her own of this show. But meanwhile, we definitely want... Yeah. Yeah. We want your own. Yeah. Okay. So our next question. The man you're in a relationship with has left dirty dishes in the sink for the third time this week. Again. Who would you most like to make him jealous with? A billionaire CEO, a stud from a motorcycle gang, or Bigfoot? (laughs) 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 Interesting one. Well, they were usually eat on paper, so that would be an unusual circumstance, but... That's a tough one. I don't know. I love um, that, that, you're, that you're torn. That's really great. I think this is the second time we've asked this question of someone, and I think a lot of our, our romance authors don't like the idea of making their significant other jealous. I just, yeah, I was going to say, it's just not really... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's... Um, I don't think that would be my response to dishes. What would, okay. what would you do? Clearly, I have some issues around dishes here that I'm projecting yeah, onto this. You don't quest. have any dishes, so yeah. If, you're, if it's all paper at your place, you just may not have. Maybe if you'd actually been stuck with the dishes three times in a row, you might feel a little more <laughs> sanguine about this oh, wait, one. I actually do. Actually, I like dishes. Dishes. They make his most housework. It's kind of like you do it, but it's undone the next minute. Mm-hmm. Dishes. Kind of like there's a bunch of them. You do yeah. them, and they're done. Sense of accomplishment. Yeah. Yes, that's true. It's like true. painting. I love painting because you can see the results. Like, and yeah, then the room is green. Like, and there it is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But we still want to know which of these three types you think is most sexy. A billionaire CEO, oh. a stud from a motorcycle gang, or Bigfoot. And it's okay if you say Bigfoot. If that's really your answer. Actually, no one will no. touch you um, here. No, no. There's, I mean, I have nothing against Bigfoot. Uh-huh. Um 
not the, I guess, not the fantasy, I guess. Uh, um, I think I would probably have to go with the motorcycle guy. I'm not sure why, because I'm not all that fond of motorcycles, but CEOs are usually, I don't know. I don't want, no, that's not true. I know a lot of nice CEOs. Um, hmm. I, I don't know why. I would just probably go with the motorcycle guy. Not to psychoanalyze you here, I would suggest that there's maybe not that big a difference between the motorcycle guy and a vampire, and you're very big on vampires. You've written a lot of vampire novels, very popular. So maybe that's it. You the see sort of the outlaw. The outlaw creature of the yeah. night. Yeah. I was going to say, because either one of them could also be a vampire. So That's very see. true. Always a possibility. Okay, our next question. Finish this sentence with one word. Romance is... God, you guys are... I thought these would be easy. <laughs> <laughs> we're monsters. Romance is... We're, we're vampires. <laughs> Romance is fantasy. Okay. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Love Absolutely. Romance is fantasy, and there's nothing wrong with fantasy, as we say often on this show. Yeah, we had Jackie Collins <laughs> on on Sunday, and we were talking about... Her favorite is role play, which I think is the ultimate manifestation of fantasy where you act out your fantasies together. Yeah, she was saying that she was out to dinner with two friends of hers and they were a couple and she decided which role they would each be playing later that night alone in their hotel room. And I said, this is something she should auction off as a charity gift. Jackie Collins (laughs) sets your role play. Right, casts your evening. Yeah. Okay, next question. True or false, Heather Graham? In real life, there are no happy endings. False. False. Okay. And why do you think that is? I've seen happy endings. Mm-hmm. I've seen happy endings. Yeah. Yeah. I think because of, you know it's because uh, <laughs> there's that old joke that you know oh yeah Sleeping Beauty and the Prince or Sleeping Beauty yeah everything was great the first year you know and then all of a sudden there was a new princess in the next territory <laughs> or the Prince or whatever and it all kind of went to hell but. Um, I, I don't know. The same thing too. I've, I've just uh, I have a couple of friends who uh, like fell in love in high school or college. They're still married. They're still each other's best friends. So I mean, I, I've seen and they weathered bad things. I mean, there's no way life goes on without bad things. Of course happen. not. But I, I yes, I think there are happy endings. Yeah, I think the real challenge to most happy endings is people's willingness to accept them. Right? It's like if you're willing to be happy with what your ending is, then you have a happy ending. If you're insisting that something else should have happened to you, then you're kind of dooming your own happy ending. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I think that's true. Absolutely. Uh, but And I, I do think, I mean, I, I love what I do. I'm so grateful for what I do. But, um, I mean, you know, happiness is in the people you surround yourself right. with. And I'm very, yeah, yeah. I would, and so many people, I mean, it's, I think one of the cutest ones is it's actually my sister's sister-in-law, but she is a good 6'3", <laughs> and um, her husband is about 5'7", and they have the cutest best marriage I have ever seen. That's You're so just, adorable. Yeah, but that's what I mean. They're both, they're both happy. It's not, you know, and I think, too, you know, it's kind of like when you know, people, well, I mean, my, growing up in Miami when I did was kind of rough because I remember people asking, you know, that question like, oh, what do you want your kids to be when they grow up? And the best I could always come up with was alive um, mm. because much had to happen. Right, because everything right. else is possible then. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I don't think it's a matter of, of like soaring to great hearts or, I mean, heights. <laughs> I mean, that's but, great if it happens, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it's I think it's being, you know, what is it? The Muppets have a great song and it's kind of like, you know, getting there is half the fun. Come share it with me. 
Yeah. So it's like the travel. Yeah, that's what you, yeah. you got to be. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Heather Graham, I must say, these are some of the most serious and sub- substantive oh. answers <laughs> we've received to our Dark Knights quiz. Hence the hundred novels. Hence the hundred novels. And I'm going to, we we've reached the drawing portion of the quiz. So we're going to find out who you get to spend a night with. Ooh. With your husband, of course, if he oh. wants to come along and maybe could just be dinner. You get a night with Jamie from Outlander. Ooh, I'm so jealous. going to be so jealous. We will be back in just a minute with more with uh, Heather Graham, the beloved author of over 100 novels, and we're going to be talking about our topic for this evening, which is aging passionately. Excellent. Tired of dining alone? Enjoy the dinner party show with friends. Like us on Facebook and become one of our party people. Then, during our live shows on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, you can join the conversation and post questions for Christopher, Eric, and their guests. During the week, drop in for tasty side dishes, show updates, and fun with the other party people. The Dinner Party Show. You are the life of our party. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and on behalf of everyone here at The Dinner Party Show, I'd like to congratulate my co-host Christopher Rice on the publication of his first full-length erotic romance novel, The Surrender Gate. It's the latest installment in his brand new series, The Desire Exchange, which began with his novella, The Flame, last year. Both books are now on sale at thedinnerpartyshow.com, and if you buy them there, a portion of your sale supports the operation of this show. Congratulations, Christopher, and happy reading, everyone. Sounds like you might want to read this one alone. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where dessert is the most important meal of the day. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And our guest this evening is beloved romance novelist, uh, author of many genres, I should say, prolific and across multiple genres. Heather Graham is here with us this evening, and we're going to discuss aging passionately. Welcome back, Heather. Hey, thank you. Okay, so we have to admit, Part of the reason we thought you would be a great guest for this topic is that despite looking not a day over 25 years old, uh, you just welcomed your first grandchild. I did. So what has that experience been like for you? I mean, just the idea of welcoming a grandchild when you are clearly so youthful and um, vigorous. Vital and happening. Well, actually, these days, um, people have, uh, half my friends already have them, so I feel like I'm... I have finally joined the party <laughs> um, and he's super cute, but we have, like, I think I'm, I had told you earlier, I have a, a nephew and he has a two year old, a five year old and a seven year old. Um, so we have had little ones around us for, for a while. It's, it's incredibly um, exciting and uh, I adore both my son and my daughter-in-law. They're both just great. So it's uh, it's one of those, I, there is no other reason, trust me, to find me in Connecticut in the middle of winter. <laughs> Leaving Florida in the winter time, yes. I can, that's unless there's a grandchild involved, there's really no reason to do such I a thing. Right, so hard not to do it, but but he's definitely. How worth long it. have you and your husband been together? Oh God, um, I was fifteen and he was uh, nineteen. Wow, wow! So you knew early on, you found the one. I found the one. I'm not always sure what to do with the one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that keeps it interesting. 
There you go. Um, I will say that I can personally attest to the fact that you two have probably spent, I'm going to say, 40% of your marriage at writers' conferences because I have seen you together at almost every conference I oh, have ever that's attended. that's great. I love that he goes with you. Yeah. Does he write as well, or what does he do? No, he's he's going whether I go or not most of the time anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, he, um, he really loves books, and... Um, I don't know. I guess it was just something I was, I was honestly very, very young when I started. So, um, we didn't really know what we were doing period. You know, I was, first of all, I was just hoping that it really was going to be like a life, you know, lifetime, lifetime. Right. Um, so, uh, he just started coming with me when I did things. And he, like, as I said, he truly loves books. And I love I think, that you have that in common. That must've really strengthened the, uh, the relationship. Um, I think a lot of things do. We're, we're both uh, music fanatics, the books, theater, movies, that, that type thing. So I'm, I'm sure it does have a lot to do with, um, you know, being able to, to maintain uh, a relationship. Um, hmm. uh, Book Expo of the Americas, which I don't even remember the older name now. Like as soon as we started going to that, he was in love because you just walk around this wonderful room where, you know, publishers are handing out books and where whoever's written a book that year. Right, like Kid at Christmas. I, we, it used to be great. They used to hand out a lot more books and then budgets got cut. But I remember going as a child. I think it was actually called the ABA before they changed yes, the book expo. Yes, it was. You're right. Yeah. That's it. And, and you, it was just people would go with suitcases and you would always be able to tell what the big book was going to be. Like I remember as a boy, yeah. Presumed Innocent. Presumed Innocent was on the stacks of it on every table and they were giving it away. That's wonderful. But, you know, I want to ask you about something you said earlier because you said when you you met your husband, you thought, I, I hope this is for life. And, and because we're talking about aging passionately, which is about sort of keeping the fire alive in all areas of our lives if we, as we get older, um, how much do you think you have to have that commitment initially to even have a chance at making it work for life? Like you have to go into it believing that you're going to sort of stick to it no matter what. Well, I honestly think that, you know, sometimes no matter what relationship you're in, you know, it is a commitment. And, and like I was saying before, bad things happen, you know, and if you, you know, you've got to learn how to go through all the bad. Um, and if you can do that together, but I, a lot, I think more and more, um, it's kind of like, this isn't a good situation or we're having trouble here or whatever. And divorce is so easy now. Right. I don't, right. I don't think it was quite so easy before. Yeah, but I mean, like, why do it if you don't mean it? You don't need to these days. Don't get married. You know, don't. That's an excellent and, point. Yeah. Uh, and depending on, on what your beliefs are, too, um, you know, it's just so many, um, you know, uh, just can mean so many different things depending on you. Um, I, I happen to be uh, Catholic, and it's just kind of like it's you kind of swear you're going to do it for life. And I don't mean that you should ever stick in something that's bad for life, but I Again, it's just kind of like, why do it if you don't mean to uh, to make it last? It does There's seem like the game, right? I think a lot of people have unrealistic expectations of what's going to happen. Right. That it's going to make them happy, that it's not going to in require them to work at being happy. Right, right. Yeah, no, I think yeah, there's just – there's going to be too many things where you do have to work at it. So like I said, I think you just you just absolutely have to mean it, and then if you don't, you know, there's – there's just no reason to anymore. I mean, I, th I think decades ago, maybe if you didn't get married, you were frowned on and, and you were horrible. But now, you know, <laughs> although I do know people who have lived together for years and years and years who are, you know, probably more committed than some people who, I mean, marriage is a contract. Right. Uh, it is a contract. 
Uh, but, uh, no, don't get into a contract if you don't want to, <laughs> or if you don't. Right, don't it. Right. Has the has the the romance, the the fantasy, the the writing, the has that had an impact on the nature of the relationship that you guys have? Has it broadened your uh, horizon? Your horizon, <laughs> just let's go your with role play, if you will, or whatever. I'll, I'll tell you my funniest moment is one time I think the kids were still young. Um, you know, we were running around. Uh, the, the biggest thing about having that many kids is you just really are a chauffeur sometimes too. But I mean, we'd been running around. I was on deadline. All kinds of things were happening. And I was sitting at the typewriter. And, and you know, you can kind of feel when somebody's coming up and they're next to you and they're just staring at you. Uh-huh. Well, I realized he's behind me and I'm thinking like, oh, my God, what now? And I stopped and I turned around and he just looked at me and he said, you know, you can't write on memory forever. Oh, oh. <laughs> so oh, we have to like try out some new fantasy. That's good for him. <laughs> That's fantastic. That was definitely his best. But uh, um, I, you know, it's so strange. I, I, you know, you never know what influences what because. Um, I write a lot of serious murder, and I haven't actually murdered anyone well, good. yet. good. So. I'm really glad to hear that. We're and if, glad. If we, you had, we, we wouldn't want to talk about it on the air. I don't know. Maybe we would want an well, exclusive on the confession. Maybe. But, I mean, it is show business. But no, we're glad you haven't murdered anyone. But I think we want to talk about that, too, Heather, that idea of, like, how do you keep the flame alive over a hundred novels? Well, you know, I a couple things. I think I'm, I truly love what I do, and I'm so grateful. Um, you know, not to... to Think that you can do something that you love so much and make a living at it is, is just staggering to begin with. Um, and I also, I'm just nuts about places and history. So I think you can always find a new place. You can always find a new quirk in history. You can always mm-hmm. see how it relates yes. to things going on today. Um, I, I don't know too. And I, and I do, I love writers conferences and I belong to, Belong to horror writers, mystery writers, romance writers, international thriller writers, sisters in crime, and novelist Inc. <laughs> yes, wow. you do love conferences. Wow. Yeah. But no, I want to, you know, I've never quite figured out what I am. So I figured I'll cover all my bases. And the inspiration, being around that much creativity, has it to help. It is. I, I just love cons. I was just at one called Sleuth Fest um, a couple of days ago before Ooh. coming up. Of the ice and snow. Um, Sleuth <laughs> Fest is a Florida con. Uh-huh. Um, and just, you know, some of the people you get to listen to and meet. And um, especially, too, we have uh, our Florida group has a lot of ex and still current law enforcement officers. And mm. the things you learn from them is incredible. I'm so, sure. And then since they had a great time not too long ago, Linda Fairstein, author Linda Fairstein, is probably one of the most amazing people I've ever met. She actually was the prosecuting attorney that the Mariska Hargitay on um, uh, Law and Order uh, Special Victims Unit is based on. Oh. And she's also into many, many charities now. She She's into um, providing safe havens for anybody beaten, not necessarily, you know, abused women, but anybody, you know, in an abuse situation. And she also did one. Um, she's into preserving Woodlawn Cemetery in New York. And so she just, she just had... Um, a talk among the tombstones instead of a walk among the tombstones. Interesting. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, we just get bizarre things like a gentleman was there who's the premier salesman for crematory equipment in the world. (laughs) (laughs) 
but, I, but you you do you wind up in these bizarre learning circumstances that are just incredibly cool and always lead to something else. But and they're incredibly nurturing too because what we do is so solitary. I mean, it's one thing to research something on the internet; it's another to be suddenly around a group of your colleagues in a in a dynamic, highly verbal environment. Or a symposium on crematoriums. Right? I, I would yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, you never so, know when you're going to need that information. I I love it because I, I know an awful lot of people who came from being uh, physicians or attorneys or, you know, they were into these very uh, high profile careers. And I worked in dinner theater before I started writing. So. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> <laughs> I did one dinner theater production, but I, I, cl- I clearly don't have the dinner theater credits that you two probably have. <laughs> That's well, what I think. I don't know if y'all remember Soap Dish. It's one of my favorite oh, movies. Yeah. Oh, oh God, yeah. I love that movie so much. My name is not Mr. Loman. <laughs> I love the moment where he actually goes down and pours more coffee for the guy to get him to shut up while he's continuing to perform the part. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so, Heather, we have to ask you some of the, the, the standard issue uh, writer's craft questions just because your output is so incredible. Right? I know you hear these all the time, and I know we hear them all the time as well, but do you write every day? Pretty much so. It depends. Most of the time, unless I'm doing something else. Sure, <laughs> <at> a con. <laughs> do you write when you're at these cons? That That's I a, a good... And I always have a computer with me, always. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I take the computer with me, and then I do a lot of writing on Facebook, which, which I don't end up really being able to monetize. I've done that too. I think all of us have, you know. But but if you say, well, I count a lot of other things as writing. Like I would count going to one of those conferences as writing. I I think that it's limiting to just fingers on the keyboard is the only time that I'm writing because it's so much more than that. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, you're you're figuring you've got so much in your head before you ever do anything on paper. Absolutely. So, yeah. And I also, yeah, I'm I, I bring I'm still to this day read constantly. I love books constantly. Well, that was the other thing I was going to say about the conference experience too. Is there's so many books now as a result of the digital revolution. Oh, I love it. And it's it is great. But conferences and meeting other writers become my form of curation. Like more often than not, I am reading a book because I met the writer at a conference. And as opposed to just trying to dig through Amazon from stacks and stacks of stuff. And and I, I like that connection. And I think sometimes your opinion of a book will be impacted by your connection to the author, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I think it I think it can be. Yeah, it definitely can be. But it is it is true. You you come up with so much now. And there's and I well, I think it's true too, especially when you meet people because um I love this new age. I think it's because there's so many books previously that are wonderful books, but perhaps a major publisher would not pick up just because they would not know how to market and show it. Right. Okay. That book is going to be out there now. Right. There's also, I mean, you've got the reverse and that anybody can publish. So anybody will. Um, And I think the key thing for people to remember is what publish means, you know, because this was great at a novelist uh, conference one time where they actually kind of sit the editors down and, and attack them a little bit. Someone had gotten up and said something about, well, you just don't need a publisher anymore. You just need someone who can edit and then someone who can copy edit and then someone who can do a really good artistic cover and then someone who knows about marketing and publicity. <laughs> <laughs> the room is there, like everyone in the room is kind of looking around like, I think that's what a publisher is. That's actually you know? the idea of publishing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I <laughs> do all that, then it's wonderful. You know, I think we, I think we need to remember that you are publishing, not just, you know, 
throwing a book up online. So, Well, one of the things we saw at the very beginning of the digital revolution is that a lot of people were making a lot of money off of their deep backlist, right? So in, the, yes. in many instances, they got the rights back to, and I think it's important to talk about this stuff because we have a lot of indie authors or emerging authors who listen right. to our show. So they, they had all these, uh, you know, advertisements for themselves, essentially, in, in the form of this long backlist up on Amazon, and they were priced very competitively, so they made a lot of money, and I think that was really great. But I think we don't, you can't go from there to, I'm just going to put a single book up with minimal editing and not a, not a very smart cover and expect to make $10,000 in royalties a month, which is what a lot of those other authors are making. And I think we're seeing the knowledge base kind of get better and people realizing it is a lot of work to self-publish, to self-publish yourself really well. And some people are learning how to do it, you know, and some people are saying, oh, it's a little more work than I want to do. And I'm going to maybe look in the direction of a small press or, you know, all these other sort of things. But I think it is a very exciting time. And I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, we're we're seeing books that that we probably wouldn't have seen before because of that shelf space marketing It's like problem. I always say, in the digital age, content is king. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying before because you say when you meet people at conferences, um, I will pick up a lot that way because, I, well, I have a niece, um, niece-in-law, who she'll call me and she'll be complaining because she just bought 10 books for 99 cents and they were all horrible. And it was kind of like, well, you're going to get good books for 99 cents too, but... Amazon lets you look at them. Yes, exactly. Before you get them. Yeah. But sometimes when you're at a con, you'll see somebody speak and you're like, ah, they're very interesting. I'm going to go pick up that book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great recommender. Getting to know the author. And you can also see what editing really does and really is. You can sometimes pick up a book from the same author that was self published several years before, and then you can see how their work grew under the directorship of an editor. And you can say, oh, editing actually does play an important role, you know? Oh, I think, yeah, it plays a huge role. It's my uh, favorite part. Well, I can't say it's my favorite. It's just, (laughs) I'm in in process of returning some rewrites right now. And I'm going through the same thing, like, you know, oh, wow, she's right. And then, oh, damn it, this is nitpicking. Come on, you know? Yeah. So we all... We all have a habit of, of running around whining and then having to admit that it's better. <laughs> so, yeah, I just gave um, Eric some notes on his murder mystery, and I'm sure that's what he's quietly saying about me when he's at home reading through them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the editing process because prior to editing, the entire book is in your head. It hasn't happened with anybody else. And once there's a conversation about it, I just think it's the, where the book really gets strong. I, I just think it really, it does so much for the work itself. And it's going to be interesting in life too, because different editors work different ways. Um, Cause I know a lot of time when I'm talking to, to friends who are submitting to houses, you know, like a new work and they'll say, Oh my God, I got this back from so-and-so. And they loved the hero but hated the plot. And then I got it back from so-and-so, and they loved the plot but told me my hero was a weak one. And that, that, that's so, my number one piece of advice is don't rewrite your book for anyone who isn't buying your book. Right. I mean, exactly. it's one thing to solicit editorial feedback from colleagues or friends who you would call your beta or readers. even from an actual editor. Like, yeah. I, I take everything yeah. that they say as a suggestion. Like, yes, that's a great idea, and no, I'm never going to do that. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, you have to go because it, in the end, the person I have to please is me. Yeah. There was an editor that I, I, I was really funny. I wanted, I worked with her at Dell and then later on I was at Berkeley and she was at Berkeley too at the time. She was one of my favorite people I ever worked with because she always started off with this letter to you 
that immediately told you you had just written the next best thing to the Bible. You know, it was wonderful. <laughs> characters, da 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 And she just had a few things to say. And then you would have five to ten pages of notes. <laughs> That's right. right. It was okay. You did them because she made you feel so good. Right, you know, right. She yeah. lifted you That's up. That side manner is important. Well, before we have Absolutely. to go, tell us a little bit about When Irish Eyes Are Haunting. That you've got it. It's new out this week, right? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I believe so. Um, and it's a lot of fun for me. I take characters that I use with my mainstream publisher that are part of the crew of Hunters, um, but they've kind of already had their main situation happen. But this lets them uh-huh. go on a little bit. And in uh, Irish Eyes Are Haunting, I take a couple of crew members over uh, to, it's a fictional town just north of Dublin. Um, And I had a great time with it because I grew up with, my mother was born in Dublin. And I grew up with, uh, well, I shouldn't say I grew up with, I grew up with my parents. They were great parents. But, you know, spent a great deal of time when I was young with um, the certifiably crazy Irish half of my family. And and my (laughs) My father was born in Sterling, so they were very crazy in different ways. But <laughs> yes, the um, I, I'm sorry, we're both Irish. We we're both found, Irish. We get it. Yeah, we haven't found the half that isn't crazy yet. Yes, just absolutely um, loved my grandmother, great grandmother, actually. My co- you know cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody who'd come over. Um, they all. And then it was funny too because I married an Italian. So then everybody that my half came over on, according to them, the potato boat, and then they all came over on the olive boat. So um, <laughs> <laughs> crazy and passionate. the potato and the olive and the Santa Maria. That's fantastic. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. Party people, go by when Irish eyes are smiling from the dinnerpartyshow.com um, and everything else Heather has ever written. If you have a few free, uh, you know, vacation yeah, days, that, that might actually read. pay for that Gulf Stream. <laughs> <laughs> too. I've got I've got a hardcover Cafferty and Quinn coming out with Mira. Oh, wonderful! And it's called Let the Dead Play On. Let the Dead Play On. And when is that coming out? Um, I that is the end of March. So that'll be about March. Oh, 26th. wow! Excellent. We'll, Excellent. we'll, we'll keep an eye out for we that. We will keep an eye out for that and remind our party people about that book as well. Takes place in New Orleans, one of my favorite cities. Absolutely, and... everybody's favorite. I love everybody's New favorite city. Heather, thank you so much, and thanks for talking to us about the topic of aging passionately and keeping the fire alive, and not always writing from memory, which right. is my new favorite writer's Absolutely. story. <laughs> passionate about aging because the alternative is not at all good. Absolutely. Right? Unless you're a vampire. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on that one, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Absolutely. Well, thank you, uh, party people, for listening this evening. Next week, our special is going to be the birthday special. Eric Shaw Quinn and I are both turning blankety-blank and blankety-blank, and uh, Heather's birthday is also uh, right in there. It will actually be the day of the show. It'll be the day of our birthday special, which is Sunday, March 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. My birthday's on a Sunday, huh? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks again uh, for being with us tonight, Heather Graham, and thank you to everyone for listening. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to The Dinner Party Show. Thanks.
I've been to a marvelous party. 